0: Jenny Kwong
1: and I'm Nathan Taylor.
0: Welcome to ArtsLink on CJSW 90.9 FM in Cowie on Treaty 7 Labs and Métis Region 3. What do you have for us this month Nathan?
1: Well Jenny, this month I'm speaking with the Columbophile. He runs columbophile.com, the preeminent website about television's rumpled detective.
0: I have on the show Paloma Negra a Mexican singer now based in Calgary who recently performed at the National Music Center. She will be speaking in Spanish and will be joined by Wilmer Alberto as a translator. So here is my conversation with Paloma Negra. Hi, thank you uh, for uh, joining uh, me on the call today.
2: Gracias por estar en la llamada hoy.
0: Al contrario, gracias por la invitación.
2: Uh, She said, thank you for inviting her on.
0: Okay. I guess, uh, tell me, how did you begin, uh, uh, start as a performer?
2: Que si le puedes compartir a ella, como empezaste tú a cantar?
0: Comienzo desde los 13
3: años, o antes, ya cantaba desde niña.
2: So she started around the age of 13, so she said, um, you know, when she was a little girl.
0: And so, uh what was it like to perform for the first time at at that age?
2: Que cómo se sentía para ti empezar a interpretar a esta edad?
3: Para mí era como no sé, era como como mi alivio era es cantar es todo para mí.
2: She said for her um you know it's hard to explain but she said it was such a relief and to her singing means everything.
0: And so, tell me about the songs that she began with, and how she has um, built her um, uh, repertoire over the years.
2: Que como cuál fue la primera canción con la que empezaste y cómo has podido a desarrollar, digamos, la colección de canciones que tiene.
3: Ya desde desde niña um, siempre he sido compositora siempre. Eh, creado canciones desde niña.
2: So she's uh, always um, actually written her own material, um, even when she started. And uh, puedes repetirlo, por favor.
3: Sí, que que desde niña um, soy compositora y desde niña he compuesto canciones y crecí con la música de Selena.
2: Okay, so she actually um, composed her own songs uh, from an early age. And she was inspired by the music by Selena. The
3: mariachi en fiestas de, de mi familia.
2: <laughs> and the mariachi uh, also uh, is something that she took in at different family parties and events.
0: What was it about Selena that inspired her?
2: Y como que era sobre Selena que sentiste tú que fue algo que te inspiró de ella. Yeah.
3: La primer canción que yo canté... Um... El mariachi la conocí por Selena, que es Tú Solo Tú. So the first
2: song she ever performed uh, was done in mariachi style, and it was a song by Selena called Tú Solo Tú, which means you, only you.
0: And I guess uh, tell me about the mariachi style for those who are not familiar with that uh, music.
2: ¿Cómo describirías tú el estilo de música mariachi para aquellos, uh, digamos, la audiencia que no conozcan ese tipo de música?
3: Ya, yeah. como lo, lo, como es que como es mi raíz, no sé, para mí lo es todo. She said Alegre. basically
2: the mariachi music is part of her roots. Um, so she said she basically grew up with it. Um, it's definitely joyful music. Alegre.
3: Mariachi es eh, um expresas muchos sentimientos para mí el mariachi es expresar muchos sentimientos, alegría, tristeza, enojo.
2: It's a uh, very also emotional style of music to express uh you know a range of emotions um you know anything from como como dijiste
3: que eran las emociones, alegría y tristeza.
2: Joy, sadness, um and I think she had mentioned anger as well.
3: This amor amor
2: uh, being in love and being out of love.
0: All right. Um, so uh, you recently performed at the National Music Center. And so tell me about what that concert was like for you.
2: Uh, bueno, la pregunta es que hace poco realizaste una presentación en el Bell Center. Y como que, ¿cómo describirías tú esa experiencia?
3: Wow, Incredible.
2: <laughs> Incredible. Yeah.
3: Um, estoy eh, agradecida por las oportunidades que tiene la ciudad de, de, de Alberta. Um, me she's encantó very, haber dado el concierto.
2: She's very grateful to the opportunities that she's had here, um, and she really enjoyed um, being able to perform at the concert.
0: How long has she lived in Calgary?
2: ¿Cuánto tienes? ¿Cuánto tiempo tienes estar aquí en Calgary de vivir en Calgary?
0: Yeah, three years. How have you enjoyed, like, um, the music scene in Calgary?
2: ¿Qué te ha parecido, digamos, la escena musical de Calgary? Oh,
0: es asombrosa. Es multicultural.
2: Um, she said it's very impressive, very multicultural.
0: So uh, I also attended that concert um, in December, and so I found it to be a wonderful evening and full of joy and laughter, and so... Um, hopefully uh, you'll be able to perform uh, more in the future. Do you have plans for the new year now?
2: Dice que ella tuvo la oportunidad de atender en persona al concierto que tuviste en en el Bell Center y la pregunta es de que si tienes algunos planes ya realizados para tener más eventos en este año.
3: Oh, oh, thank you so much for um for estar en en el evento.
2: Uh, thank you so much for being at the event.
3: Um, hay proyectos de, de viajar y, y presentar um, el concierto en, en diferentes ciudades de, de, de Canadá.
2: She has plans to definitely expand in uh, traveling to other cities to perform live music across Canada.
3: Pero tenemos que esperar um, por estas nuevas restricciones que existen por lo de el Covid.
2: Uh, so she's kind of waiting at the moment to um, just see like where the, the restrictions go um, as far as being able to kind of um, finalize those plans.
0: Tell me about some of the songs uh, you've been able to perform, especially on that evening in December.
2: Que le compartas sobre las canciones que ya realizaste, las canciones en tu repertorio. Y específicamente más las canciones que cantaste en el concierto.
3: ya yeah. el concierto era exclusivo para presentar mis, mis composiciones.
2: So the concert was exclusively um, to focus on her performing uh, songs that she composed herself.
3: Pero incluí covers de grandes artistas mexicanos.
2: And it also included covers by really well-known Mexican artists.
0: And so, tell me some of the well-known artists um, she's been able to perform the music that, uh, from them.
2: ¿Qué you si le compartirías a ella, por ejemplo, quiénes son los mexicanos, los cantantes mexicanos que te han inspirado, que son más conocidos?
3: Eh, Lola Beltrán, ya yeah, um, Vicente Fernández.
2: Algo que le quieras compartir a ella sobre él específicamente.
3: El fue un gran icono de la música regional mexicana y hace poco falleció. De hecho.
2: Well, Vicente Fernandez is an icon of regional Mexican music um, and he uh, passed away very recently.
0: Sorry to hear about that. Uh, hopefully um, he has uh, been able to leave his uh, legacy of music.
2: Que, que pena que haya fallecido y que espera que esta digamos la. La, el legado de música pueda sobrevivir.
3: Sí, claro. Um, uh, por eso también estoy trabajando en, en, en esta música regional mexicana.
2: And this is precisely why she is focusing specifically on regional Mexican music.
3: Con mis composiciones este y también dándole un, un giro a... Um, soy compositora y escribo para norteño como ella lo vio en el concierto cumbias
2: the songs that she's actually been writing herself are uh, focusing on like norteña style which is a northern style northern mexican style of song. so she had mentioned that um, the new uh, music she's writing will also include cumbias
0: i guess uh, you can uh, please uh, talk about the song we'll hear in this episode I hope uh, hopefully I uh, pronounce it correctly. Is it Caray?
2: Que si puedes compartirle algo sobre la canción que ella va a compartir en este episodio del, del programa y que espera que lo esté pronunciando bien y la canción es titulada Caray.
3: Caray, claro. <laughs> <laughs> um, esta canción es, es dentro del álbum de Ventana del Alma.
2: This song is part of an album called uh, Ventana al alma, which is window to the soul. Uh,
3: las grabaciones de caray se hicieron en Canmore.
2: Um the uh recordings for the videos of the song were done in Canmore. Uh,
3: menos 18
2: At minus eighteen degrees.
0: Yeah, I was able to uh see the video and so how how long did that take to film?
2: Dice que ella tuvo la oportunidad de ver el video y que quería saber cuánto tiempo duró la filmación.
0: Wow, um,
3: todo el día eh, de grabación.
2: It was a full day, basically, of recording.
0: Wow, that's pretty um great that you were able to find um the time and the location to film it.
2: Qué bien que encontraron el local eh, para filmar. She thinks that um the Camor area and Alberta itself is is such a beautiful um
3: place. Okay,
2: she also wanted to emphasize that she has been um an independent musician.
0: And so um how has she found being a uh, independent musician and living in Calgary uh, with that a uh, career.
2: Que cómo has encontrado tú ser una cantante independiente y en ese tipo de carrera en esta ciudad?
3: Oh, <laughs> um, bueno, tengo mi manager que es Freddy Rivas. Es un artista multidisciplinar. Este. Yeah. She's been
2: working with her manager Freddy Rivas, who's a uh, multidisciplinary artist here in Calgary.
3: Y él es Colombiano, yo Mexicana.
2: <laughs> He's Colombian and then Paloma is from Mexico.
3: Y, y los dos decidimos um, impulsar más este este sueño.
2: And together the two of us have really been working together to push this dream.
3: Así que es con el apoyo de Freddy Rivas y, y los dos lo hacemos.
2: Um, uh, so a lot of it has been with the support of Freddie Rivas as her manager um, and working together collaborative.
3: ¿Quién es el, el productor de, de los videos?
2: Freddie as well is also the producer of Paloma's videos.
0: I guess uh, that's the end of the interview. Uh, thank you very much for both of you for being on the show.
2: Dice que eso llega al final de la entrevista y muchas gracias por haber participado en el programa.
0: Oh, no, al contrario, ¿puedo agregar solo una cosa?
2: Uh, she wants to know if she could add something to the conversation.
0: Uh, yes, please, if uh, you have anything else to add, that would be wonderful.
2: Que sí, que sí, por favor, tienes algo más que agregar que por favor lo hagas.
3: Ya, um, lanzamos uh, otro video que es La Aventurera, es un cover.
2: So she recently launched a new, uh, perdón, dijiste un nuevo video?
3: Um, se lanzó hace meses el nuevo video La Aventurera.
2: Okay, the new video that she recently launched of a cover is called La Aventurera, uh, which translates to the Adventurer.
3: Um, y nos apoyó la Calgary Harley Davidson.
2: And she was supported by Calgary Harley Davidson.
0: Uh, where can folks uh, see the video and uh, hear your music?
2: que in podías dirigir a la audiencia a dónde podían encontrar tu música y tus videos
3: Claro que sí ya um, en
2: yeah,
3: YouTube, Instagram,
0: uh, Facebook, TikTok <laughs> That's uh, wonderful to hear and thank you again for your time.
2: Thank you Jenny and I uh, just want to express my gratitude for you giving the opportunity to feature Paloma on the show and to elevate the voices of um, you know, Latin American artists and singers on your show. So thanks for the opportunity.
0: Thank you again and have a wonderful uh, afternoon.
2: You as well. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much, Jenny. Thank you. Hi, this is Jenny again. That was my interview with Paloma Negra, currently based in Calgary. Here's a song that is available on her YouTube page. It is called Caray. It is a Spanish word that is used to convey admiration, surprise, and sometimes anger, and can be loosely translated as wow. So here is the song Caray.
4: Que me sigan todos. Estaba conmigo, los chicos están gozando y todos quieren bailarlo, quieren bailar pegadito, todos siguiendo este ritmo.
0: The song is called Carai and it is by Paolo Manegra, our guest earlier in the show. Now here is co-host Nathan Taylor.
1: Thanks, Jenny. This month I’ll be speaking about the long-running American detective show Columbo. And joining me is the creator of Columbofile.com. It's an amazing resource on the show and is host to many other passionate Columbo fans. What Follows is a condensed version of our conversation about what Columbo is, what makes the show great, and what it's like to run columbofile.com. He does his work incognito, so introducing my conversation with the lieutenant. If we could try to explain to our listeners what Columbo is about and what makes a good episode of Columbo, where would you want to start?
5: You know, for the uninitiated viewer, what makes Columbo such an interesting show is that Yes, it's a detective drama, but you see the crime committed first, so you know how it's done. And it's always, like, generally a very clever fiendish, the perfect murder where, you know, they think there's no way anyone could ever solve this. And the beauty of watching it is finding out how Columbo does crack the case. The key ingredients, there are a few of them, the first one being that really perfect murder. so. You know, the killer has created an alibi that is so watertight that there's there's no way he's going to get caught. There's always these little things that bother Columba about the crime scene, like maybe something is out of place or the alibi is too perfect, like, you know, he knows a murder was committed at 11 o'clock and the chief suspect was ostentatiously seen out and about at 11. So it just makes him think, mm, that's, there's something a bit suspicious going on there. So you really want a very good, fiendishly clever murder. That's probably the best, um, the first ingredient you want. And Columbo was a show, the calibre of guest star on it was absolutely awesome. A lot of the time, even in very small roles, you know, you'd get, you know, Ray Milland, Myrna Loy in, you know, in, in relatively small roles, although Ray Milland was a murderer as well as a as a guest star, but a lot of the time they, they, They cast the killer, to contrast Peter Fork, who's little and scruffy, playing Lieutenant Columbo. So you've got these sort of very cool and urbane, smooth, articulate killers, someone like Jack Cassidy or Robert Culp or Leonard Nimoy, someone who's very different than Peter Fork. Columbo's rapport with these murderers a lot of the time, the chemistry he has with them, whether he likes them or dislikes them, it really makes for such compelling viewing. And I think it really helps as well if the audience has an emotional reaction to the killer. So, I mean, there's 44 or 45 episodes filmed between 1968 and 1978. I think the best ones of those are the ones where you can sympathize with the killer, which is not that common, but it does happen. So um, Donald Pleasance played a, a wine maker who killed his brother who was gonna sell the winery. So he killed him to protect his way of life. And he's a strangely sympathetic figure. Ruth Gordon, when she was in her 80s, played a a little old lady who killed her nephew. Um, And you could really be on her side because she believes her nephew was a murderer. So if you like them or you can really hate the character, hate the murderer as well, the Leonard Nimoy character, he was a surgeon who tried to murder a senior colleague and then murdered a nurse and then murdered a completely innocent guy. And he's just so cold and oh, wretched and horrible a man. You can just think, yes, I can't wait to see this guy get taken down. And Robert Conrad was similar to that. Um, uh, Louis Jordan as well. They, they all played really loathsome characters. So when Columbo does figure out how to catch them, it makes it so sweet for the viewer. And I think um, the 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 downfall of the baddie when that does happen um sometimes you know the gotcha scene when Columbo gets them it's, it's almost jaw-droppingly good uh so one of the episodes uh suitable for framing from Columbo's first season in 1971 it's it's like there's a there's a an art critic who murders his uncle so that he can try and inherit his collection he frames his aunt has really being named in the will as inheriting the art so that he can get the art himself. And it all boils down to Columbo's fingerprints being on some stolen paintings that he had planted at his aunt's house. And it all comes down to the fact that how could Columbo's fingerprints be on these paintings, because he touched them earlier in the episode, if the auntie had stolen them. And the guy that did it, Ross Martin was the actor, a superb performance, he is sort of so smug, so full of himself, saying, yeah, I told you, my fingerprints are all over these paintings. And then Columbo says, well, we're not looking for yours, we're looking for mine. And then when they find his prints, like Ross Martin's sort of gasping, you touched them, you touched them just now when I wasn't looking. And Columbo just pulls out his hands from his pockets and he's wearing gloves. Not another word is said. It's just it's just brilliant drama. and Just the quality of the writing, particularly in the 70s series, was so high that... You know that sort of magic moment was going on in almost every episode. Lots of episodes, not that many episodes, would tick every box you would want for the perfect Columbo. But if, if if they tick, if an episode ticks three or four of those boxes, then you know you're, you've got an absolutely brilliant piece of entertainment.
1: There are free episodes available from your website on a, uh, the Colombo YouTube page, so you can watch this episode that was just being discussed, uh, Suitable for Framing, a perfect title, one of the most perfect titles I, I've ever heard. But um, let's talk a little bit about Columbo himself, because he's a man who is never shooting guns, never having any chase scenes. He is, uh, like, he's described uh, by one uh, suspect at one point as a little elf under a toadstool, uh, giving us the impression that he is not really a malicious uh, figure. He, he's constantly underestimated or being made to be annoying. Give us your idea of Columbo as a
5: man. That's part of what makes the show so interesting is that the Columbo character you see is almost all an act. You know, quite outside the fact that Peter Fork is acting as Columbo. But if you look at Columbo as a you know actual character, almost all of what you see on on the show is a facade where he is putting on an act to get the suspect or the killer to underestimate him, to feel superior to him, and to think they can get away with murder very easily because this you know this little scruffy bumbling cop is is been entrusted to look after the solve the perfect murder really and, and it's it's so brilliant to watch when when peter ford puts in shades of the the man columbo is behind this facade when they come through um it's very rare but it 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 sort of tells you that Colombo himself is actually razor sharp. He's on the ball. He's he's actually quite a um a forceful character in himself when he's not putting on this mask of, you know, this this subterfuge of being sort of obsequious and simple-minded and all these things. So sometimes, you know, he'll the mask will slip and he'll he'll become angry with with a killer. So very memorable scene in The Stitch in Crime with Leonard Nimoy when he slams down a pitcher of water on the desk when the guy is laughing at him. Um, an exercise in fatality from season four with Robert Conroy. Columbo hates this guy, and he believes the guy is responsible for the wife of the victim having an overdose. And they're sitting together in hospital, and Columbo really lays into him. And you think, right he's actually showing me what he really feels about something. He really hates this guy, and it's so so good to watch because you never know, you never really know very much about Columbo as a man. So he's a mystery within the mystery show because you, you don't really ever get to know much about him. He'll tell you things about his wife, his family, but you suspect most of the time he's making those things up on the spot just to suit the conversation he's having with a killer. So he's, he's been described as a devious man, um, he admits to that. Some of the, the shrewdest killers do do recognise him for what he is. I think um, Lee Grant, who is the, the murderous lawyer in the, the pilot episode um, Ransom for a Dead Man in 1971, she says that, you know, Columbo comes slouching in with his shop-worn bag of tricks but it's really the jugular he's going for and I bet most of the time he gets it. And that's absolutely right you know he's just he's playing the fool but you know he's as sharp as sherlock holmes beneath it all a lot more earthy than sherlock a lot less showy but he is he's on that level of of intelligence taking it back to
1: your website uh, on one of the articles on there uh, it's spoken about how um the writers maybe made a decision uh, throughout the first season um, that yes, his, his wife actually does exist, uh, sort of opening up the fact that all this stuff isn't just a bluff, that he's not just lying about everything. Uh, could you talk a, a little bit about maybe how they settled upon making some of these mannerisms and, uh, behavior of, of him to be actually like real, like canon? Mm. Yeah.
5: And I, you know, I think they went into it probably with, uh, I'd say they, the show creators, um, Richard Levinson, William Link, and Peter Fork, I think, went into it with just sort of like a a nebulous idea of what was really going on in Colombo's life. Was he actually married? Was any of the things he said true? I think the more they did it, the more they they were satisfied that, well, yeah, his wife is is certainly real. Um, It probably is just that the anecdote he's telling about her or his family members is just made up on the spot to, to suit whatever conversation he's having. Uh, still there are some viewers of the show that, that believe Mrs Colombo is not real because we never see her, um, but there is plenty of evidence to suggest she is real, like she's there on a cruise ship with him on the episode Troubled Waters featuring Robert Vaughan, which is a brilliant episode. Uh, other people do see her, she's in the background, there's an episode with George Hamilton from the I think from the '80s, where she's at the same event as him and Colombo, she just, you know, she'd round the corner or something instead. So yeah, and I, I think there are elements of of the character um, as introduced that are that are genuine. I think he is quite a forgetful character. You know, he's always looking around for a notepad, a pencil. He forgets where stuff stuff is. He claims to be a very untidy person. In the episode uh, "Double Shock," where with featuring Marty Landau's twins, and he gets screamed up by the housekeeper in that episode for sort of dropping cigar ash. So there are things about him which I think are also true of Peter Fork that he brought into the character. So Columbo is messy, he is forgetful, he is untidy, he is married, he loves his wife, he's got a big extended family. But aside from that, there's not a lot you can really say you know about him because as the show uh, unveils really, there's just hidden depths to the character that pop up here and there and everywhere. Um, and also, we should probably talk about his dog as well, because he, his pet dog gets introduced in series two. Uh, he was rescued from the pound. It's a big sloppy, slovenly basset hound. And you can just tell man and dog had such awesome chemistry going on there. It's, it's you know, and dogs only in, I think he's in six or seven of the, episodes in the 70s and it's just such an authentic relationship between man and beast that you can you know love a creature but still find it really frustrating and it it just it really rings true to I think I think uh, how how pet ownership really works.
1: I would like to ask you about your your website and the interaction that you have with other Columbo fans like when you post a review you have people immediately given their own opinions of the episode uh you alluded to um disagreements about the ending of negative reaction where Columbo is is uh, troubled for some reason uh, could you talk a little bit about how this uh, snowball got rolling and and where you're at and where you're going
5: yeah definitely um Well, I kicked off the blog in in 2015 now, so mid to 2015, and it really stemmed from the fact that, you know, living in Australia, I really didn't know anyone that that watched Columbo. It's not a very known show here. Some people will know it. So apart from my actual wife, my real life, Mrs Columbo, we would watch the DVDs together and we would really enjoy the show. You know, debate the show, discuss it on any level because no one really watched it. The only person, you know, that would... Talk to me about the show with my dad, but he was like one of those know-alls that was like, "Oh, he just bothers them until they confess." So he refused to acknowledge the brilliance of the show. So I thought, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna start blogging on it because then I can discuss it in any level of detail I like. And you know, if people respond to it, great. If they don't, it doesn't matter. I'd already started Twitter then as well. I think I started Twitter for Colombo in 2012. Um, so my, the Columbo file account there. And that was great for interacting with, with fellow fans as well. So I started thinking then, all right, I could do the blog. I could share it on, on the Twitter account anyway. So I'll at least be widening my audience. And that worked well. And, you know, as you say, the readers of the blog, they're, you know, they're an incredibly knowledgeable bunch. And, you know, there's a lot of long-form content on the blog. I don't just write a simple couple of hundred words review of an episode including the episode summary some of those reviews it's 5000 words so it's you know it's it's a an investment of my time but it's also an investment of time for the reader to go into it and you just see the level of of knowledge and understanding of the mystery genre and columbo as a whole in a lot of the comments section and people a lot of people have got you know a lot of love for the show and a lot of big knowledgeable opinions on the show as well so That's been really good. So, as you say, as soon as I post a a review, I did one a couple of weeks ago, and there's I think I look today there's about hundred comments on that blog already of people. You know, they might be debating a point between themselves, or they might just be giving their take on a particular uh, aspect of the episode or the whole episode as well. And you know, people in it, you know, they'll they'll converse with each other, and they they you know have relationships outside the blog with each other. Now through the through the Colombo fandom, and, and that's probably the most rewarding thing about the whole thing for me is that I've sort of become a, a fulcrum, if you like, for other people, other Colombo fans to to get together and and get to know each other. Um, so I, I'm active on Twitter and Facebook, less so on Facebook. I, I don't really like the company, but um, and Instagram as well. And there's just just so much positivity about Colombo as a whole. You, you know the Online world can be pretty hateful uh, these days, and a lot of keyboard warriors. But almost nothing like that with Columba. I think I had to ban one guy from the blog at one point because he was just starting a fight with everyone for no reason in the comment section. But that was it. You know, there's it's a very respectful audience of each other and of the show. So yeah, it's been it's been terrific. And you know, three million visits on the site last year and i only wrote 15 articles because my daughter was ill so that just shows that how much interest there still is in the show still people are finding the show you know first time viewers are coming to the show and then getting getting hooked finding the site as well so it's you know colombo it's more than 50 years old now but it's it's still loved it's still being shown across the world it's still being found by a new audience so I don't know. I just think it's, it, it's absolutely terrific. And to be part of, you know, to be in the middle of that, that community, it's really, it's very heartening.
1: Let's talk about your personal favourite episode, which you described before we started recording that it was actually the first one that you had seen at uh, the young age of 10 or 11.
5: Yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah. And I think what I find with, with quite a lot of um, Colombo fans is the episode that sort of, they remember first seeing or that hooked them initially Years later, will still be one of their favourites, and that—that's very much the case for me. So, bye bye, sky high IQ murder case. It's we aired in nineteen seventy-seven. So it was in Colombo's sixth season. The show was pretty established by then, but um, in and some would say the show was actually past its peak at that point as well. I would agree with that, but this episode—it's just—it's got so much good in it. I mean there's a high percentage of some of the funniest Colombo scenes of all which I think is a bit of an underrated aspect of Colombo sometimes it could be really funny without trying to be broad comedy just forks performances would he was a good comedic actor so he could make the audience laugh as well as um, you know be interested in the mis- in the serious mystery and murder elements of the show and there's I don't know there's five or six of some of the best ever Columbo scenes in that one episode where you, you know you even find out a little bit about Columbo because he tells the murderer played by by Theo Bickle He tells him a bit about how he got to his position in life, you know, how he reached this stage of his career, uh, you know, working harder than than the rest. You know, he might not be as intelligent as some of the other detectives he used to work with, but he worked harder than they did to get to where he is and you know how much he loves his job. And you know, he's very happy with his lot in life, but it's also offset with some very funny scenes. Like Columbo crashing um, the the or cramping the style of like a young accountant who's in a nightclub being chatted up by I know some drunk young girl, and Columbo waddles in to put him off. And then by the end of it, the girl's complimenting him on his hairstyle. And there's a great scene where a young Jamie Lee Curtis in one of the the series' best ever cameos. Confiscates his donut. Columbo had bought a donut into a, into a cafe with him and she takes it away. She's really cross with him and she asks him what he wants. And he takes ages looking at the menu and then he orders another donut and she looks at him as if, you know, if looks could kill, he'd be dead on the floor. Uh, and it also has a very good gotcha scene. Um, it's um, where Colombo sort of tricks the murderer, who's this genius and an actual genius. Like member of Mensa type genius into revealing how the crime was committed because Columba knew he did it, he just didn't really know how the illusion was created that made it look as if the the victim was killed while the murderer was downstairs amongst a sea of witnesses. Very cleverly done, very well edited. Um I really like Theo Bickle's performance in the episode as well. Like he's one of those murderers that I get an emotional response to. So even though he committed a wicked crime, he is someone you can feel sorry for because you know he himself reveals what a lonely life he's had and he had to hide his gifts as a child. So it really does tick a load of of the Columbo boxes and really one of Falk's best performances from, from the latter series of the 70s as well, like, full of whimsy and fun, but he's got that hard edge to him as well that you don't always see. So um, yeah, it's one of those ones that even though I know, you know, I watch and I think fondly of it. And you know, when that happens, you can be biased, positively biased towards something um, even if it doesn't warrant it. But every time I watch it, I still think, yeah, this is, this is brilliant. I still really rate this as my favourite episode. Even though you know not everyone agrees with me that it that it's one of the best. You know, a lot of people on the on the blog were commenting, they were surprised when I got to round to reviewing it and I said it was my favorite episode. But I think you know, it always will be. It's just uh, you know a great play. It's brought me a great deal of pleasure over the years, and every time I see it, there's still there's still plenty to enjoy.
1: That was my conversation with the lieutenant from Columbofile.com. Columbophile.com has links to full episodes of Columbo, so you can see for yourself what we've been speaking on. It also has wonderful analyses of not only episodes, but various other aspects of the show. I'll be posting some links on cgsw.com in the arts link section.
0: Now it is the end of the show. Thank you for listening. The song at the start of the show is called Two Full Time Go in Cantonese and Fiery Tango in English. It was performed by the late Anita Moy. That's it for this month. Talk to you again next time.
1: From Jenny and Nathan, thanks for listening.